0: This week, we continue our Advent series, Prophet, Priest, and King. We've been looking at different roles that Jesus filled and fulfilled. In the Old Testament, we see a bunch of different types of Christ, people that did things in a way that Christ would do things, though they did them imperfectly. They couldn't get them right. Throughout this series, we are looking at how when Christ came, he got it right. He fulfilled them. He took on these roles in a complete, permanent, and redeeming way. He was what these roles were always intended to be. We've looked at the roles of prophet and priest. It might seem logical, based off the title, that this week we would be talking about Christ the King But we're going to sit on that one for one more week. This week, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews again. In fact, I read our text for this week in the sermon last week. But you see, the role of priest had two major functions. And we really only talked about one of them last week. We didn't get very deep into how the priests were the ones that offered the sacrifices. Today, we're going to talk about sacrifices as we look at Christ the Sacrifice. Again, we're in the book of Hebrews, we'll be in chapter 7, verses 26 to 28. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you are welcome and invited to follow along there. A Bible should be available in the back of the pew in front of you, if you would prefer, but the words will be on the screens beside me as well. It's Hebrews uh, chapter 7, verses 26 to 28. We read the word of the Lord this morning. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weaknesses. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son. Who has been made perfect forever. Let's end the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. In 1910, Lawrence Oates, a British army officer, applied to join Robert Falcon Scott's expedition to the South Pole, which was called the Terra Nova Expedition. His application was accepted in large part because Scott needed someone to help with the horses, which were Oates's specialty, and in small part because of a significant financial contribution made by the young captain. Oates and Scott did not get along. Their Their personalities were in conflict regularly. In his diary, wrote Oates, myself, I dislike Scott intensely and would chuck the whole thing if it were not a British expedition. Scott wasn't quite so intense in how he expressed his feelings towards Oates, but would refer to him often as the cheery old pessimist. The Terra Nova expedition set out from Cape Evans to begin the 895-mile journey over ice, snow, and glacier, in a race to be the first to the South Pole. At predetermined latitudes, members of the support team would be sent back in teams. Oates was one of the final five selected to march the last 157 miles to the South Pole. The group arrived on January 18th, 1912, only to find the tent of Norwegian explorer, Roald Amundsen, and a note informing the British that the Norwegians had arrived at the South Pole first on December 14th, 1911, 35 days earlier. I didn't choose this illustration because I'm Norwegian. But this part didn't hurt, like this, this, this didn't hurt. The British explorers had still accomplished quite the feat to reach the pole, and they gathered themselves and and began the journey home, and on the way back, they were hit by some pretty brutal weather. On February 17th, the final five became the final four as Edgar Evans succumbed to head injuries sustained from a fall he had taken. Captain Lawrence Oates wasn't doing so well himself. He was suffering from frostbite and had many injuries sustained from falls that he had taken throughout the trip. He couldn't move very quickly. He felt like he was holding the rest of the party back and endangering them as they were having to slow their pace so that he could keep up with them. On March 15th, Oates told his fellow expedition members to leave him behind. They refused. He marched that day, but that night his conditions worsened. Captain Lawrence Oates Looked at the faces of his fellow explorers, including the man that just rubbed him wrong, their leader, Robert Scott. And he got out of his sleeping bag and remarked to the other men, I'm just going outside. I may be a while. Oates trudged out into negative 40 degree Fahrenheit blizzard and was never seen again, sacrificing himself so that the others might survive. Though we are not walking into freezing blizzards. We have some idea of what it's like to sacrifice, don't we? Maybe you're working two jobs, or you're working rough shifts, or you're at a job you're just not very fond of, or one that's demanding and difficult, or, or maybe you're working longer than you anticipated working, so that those who you love, those that love you, those who are depending on you, can be provided for. Maybe you give or gave up many nights during the week so that your child could play the sport they love or pursue other extracurricular activities like drama or music. We just had Thanksgiving. Maybe you took less of your favorite dish or dessert so that others had the opportunity to partake, and maybe that meant you didn't get as much as you'd hoped you would. Maybe you got sick or even though you felt functional, you you didn't go to the party you wanted to or that event or that concert or that movie because you didn't want to get others sick. There there are ways and areas in life that all of us have to make sacrifices. It's not always fun. It's mostly pretty much unenjoyable, which is why we call it a sacrifice. We're giving up something that you would like so that someone else can have something that they would like. We all make sacrifices in life, and we sacrifice in our spiritual walk as well, don't we? Instead of sleeping in like we may like to or getting to plan our Sundays around what we would maybe prefer to do, we're here in church. We tithe our money, and in order to do so, we make sacrifices. Maybe we can't go out to eat as much as we want because we gave that money to the church. Maybe Christmas won't be as extravagant as we'd like it to be because we tithed. Being involved in church life is a lot. We commit to evenings and days where we're here doing church things instead of watching the game with the guys or or binging that TV show with the spouse or golfing or swimming or cuddling up and reading that book. We intentionally put ourselves in situations that aren't the most comfortable for us because we know that God wants us to, has called us to, so we make the sacrifice and do what we would prefer not to. It's not easy to be part of the church. It's not easy to be part of God's mission. It's not easy to follow his call and his direction, his law for our lives. To do so requires sacrifice. And with these sacrifices, do we ever wonder, is my sacrifice enough? Will my putting all this time in at work be enough? Will my family be provided for? Will they appreciate what I'm doing for them, what I've given up? Will giving up all this time and effort and spending all this money on lessons and equipment, will it be enough for my kid? Will it be any good at what they're trying to accomplish? Will they see how much I care about them? Will those that I have sacrificed for appreciate the sacrifice? Will my sacrifice accomplish what I intend it to accomplish? Will it all be in vain Will God recognize how much I'm giving up here? Does he understand how hard it is for me to tithe as much as I did? Does he understand how much time I'm spending at the church and how much more time I could be spending other places? Does he understand how much I really want to sin, but I'm sacrificing my joy so that I can follow his will? Does he know how hard it is to be involved in mission? Does he know how much I'm having to sacrifice to answer this call that he's put on my life? Does God understand how much I'm sacrificing for him? And is it enough? Will he smile on me when he sees how much I've given up, how much I've dedicated, how hard I've worked, how consistent I've been? Have I sacrificed enough? I don't know and can't speak to the sacrifices you're making in your personal life. That's that's between you and God and those you're sacrificing for. I don't know how all that's going to work out. But I can say that if the purpose behind our sacrifice for God is to earn his favor to have him smile on us more, to have him accept us more, to feel more loved by him, then our sacrifice will mean about as much as Captain Lawrence Oates's sacrifice did. For you see, Oates left that tent and walked into that blizzard so that the men he was with would not feel obligated to slow down and, keep, and to keep him alive. He sacrificed himself For that, but nine days later, trapped by a ferocious blizzard too weak and too cold to carry on, the rest of the Terra Nova expedition froze to death, only 11 miles from the safety of a supply station. They and their journals of the events were recovered by search parties eight months later, and the body of Captain Lawrence Oates was never recovered. Oates intended to save his companions by his sacrifice, but it was not enough. If we intend to save ourselves, to curry God's favor, to have him smile upon us because of our sacrifices, it will never be enough. We see this pretty clearly in the Old Testament. Back then, God established a a sacrificial system in order to maintain his relationship with his people. There had to be, there, there has to be a penalty for sin. There, there always has. And so God instituted the sacrifice system where a person would sacrifice an animal or grain. They would, they would light it on fire, dedicating it to God, sacrificing it to God so that the relationship with him might be maintained. This was food that they could have eaten or sold at a profit. It was a sacrifice to give it to the Lord in this way, be it meat or grain. God demanded the best the spotless lamb, the best of the produce of the grain that was harvested. He didn't want that rotten carrot or the goat with the broken leg. Those are easy to give up. That that wouldn't have truly been a sacrifice. No, he wanted the best. He demanded the best, but the best that man has to offer was never good enough. And so the Israelites had to go to the temple again and again. They had to go to the priests again and again so that they might offer sacrifice after sacrifice. The whitest of lamb and the plumpest grains of wheat would never be enough to cover the sins of the people forever. And so this was the system, a system that some abused which led to Jesus flipping tables at the temple, but it was the system in place nonetheless. Our sacrifice, whether it be a lamb or our time or money or desires, our sacrifice is never enough to restore our relationship with God. This past October, I was down in San Diego at the 1517 conference, and one of the speakers was Chad Bird. During his message, he spoke about Abraham, and he told the shocking, barely believable story of how God called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Chad takes us up the mountain in the land of Moriah, and there is Isaac, tied up, about to be be the sacrifice that God has demanded when the messenger of the Lord appears to Abraham and tells him to stop. Chad, an Old Testament theologian, has expressed in his writings and teachings that he believes the messenger of the Lord is none other than the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so here, on this mountain in the wilderness, we have the father of the faith, Abraham, about to sacrifice his son, the sacrifice that God has demanded, and in step Jesus who says, Stop. Who better, asks Bird, to stop the sacrifice than the one for whom the sacrifice would not be stopped. Who better than the Son of the Father to say, Stop, I'm going to take care of the sacrifice. It won't be a knife, but it'll be thorns and a spear and nails. I'll be the Lamb who is tangled up in the thicket of crucifixion. I'll be the one who receives the death that brings all of you life. Our sacrifices are not enough to fix, to restore our relationship with God. Isaac would not have been enough. We needed a sacrifice that we could not make. And so God made it for us. He sent his son, he sent Jesus into the world from the utopia of heaven to the brokenness of earth and here Jesus lived with us. He taught us, he laughed and cried with us. And then one day he was betrayed, and though innocent, the Christ was sentenced to death, and not just any death, but death on a cross. And there on that cross, as Jesus hung in naked vulnerability, as God looked on his son, his son whom he loves, he did not say, stop. He could have. God had the power to do that, but instead, Jesus took the knife meant for Isaac. He took the thorns. He took the spear. He took the nails. He took the wrath meant for us. Christ was and is the sacrifice that was needed to repair our relationship with God. And as he hung there, before he gave up his spirit, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, uttered these words, it is finished. No more offering of grain and lamb. No more of man's feeble and flailing attempts to repair their relationship with God. Christ was the sacrifice. He fulfilled what the Old Testament sacrifices could not. And he was sacrificed one time for all time. That through faith in him, our relationship with God would be restored that through faith in him the dirty rags of our sins are taken from us and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The righteous do not need to make sacrifices to become righteous. Through faith in God we are declared righteous. The sacrifice has been made. It has been fulfilled in Christ. We can do more no more than Christ has done. What a fantastic picture of promise and hope that is for us. You can do nothing to repair your relationship with God, O sinner, for Christ has done it for you, and he has done it for me, and he has done it for the world. Oh, that the world would believe in the one who sacrificed so much for them. All glory, honor, and praise to the one who has done such great and wondrous things and he is praised. We see this picture so clearly in Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 to 14, and we're going to read those verses this morning, and if they sound familiar, it's because we sang some of them during worship this morning, but the the picture we have here is just fantastic. This is John. He's, He's had his visions. He's on the Isle of Patmos, and this is what he says, And I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, Who else would this be but Christ the Lamb? For as we read in John chapter 1, verse 9, when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So again, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. They will reign on the earth. Let's, let's sit in that for a moment. It's a, it's a gory picture. This, this lamb who was, who was slain, but, but, the, but here we see the blood of the, of the slain lamb, the blood of Christ, purchased... For God, the debt of persons, of people, from every tribe, language, and nation on earth, and that this purchase, this sacrifice, has made them a kingdom and advocates for God that serve him, and that they will reign on the earth. And that is quite the picture. That is quite the promise. And we keep reading, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousands times ten thousand. Ten thousand. They circled the throne of the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. There is none but Christ who could fulfill the sacrifice that restores our relationship to God. And when we believe in Him, when we have faith in Him, what a hope and promise we have. He has done the work. Christ for us. Christ, the Lamb who was slain, who has received power and wealth and wisdom and strength. He is the one that is holding us fast. What a picture. What a promise. So if Christ is the sacrifice, then do we need to sacrifice? We don't need to sacrifice in order to improve how God looks upon us. We can't sacrifice enough to earn his favor. That's not not what our sacrifices are for. God took care of that with Jesus, but he does still call us to sacrifice. God calls us to sacrifice for our neighbor. It's good for us to not just serve ourselves, but to put others first. It's good to give time and, and effort and energy into investing, into, our, into investing in our families and in the lives of our neighbors. This pleases God. He asks us to do it. And these investments, they, they take sacrifice. God calls us to sacrifice for his kingdom. Maybe we had big plans for our future, had big plans for our financial security, and then God calls us to ministry to be a missionary overseas or a church planter or a, or a pastor. Maybe he's calling you to give our time or your time and, and energy into being an elder or a trustee or a Sunday school teacher or any number of ways and roles that benefit the church, God's mission, and his kingdom. Maybe those calls take us out of our, our comfort zones. I pretty much guarantee that they will on some occasions. And that's, that's good. It's hard, but it's good. And God calls us to give financially to the church, and, and that can be difficult. It can be scary. It can be hard. But speaking as one who relies on those gifts to put food on my table and a roof over the heads of my kids and who got to see the ministry of this church and how it blessed a bunch of families and kids in our community just yesterday... Thank you for being willing to make that sacrifice. And God calls us to sacrifice for our own benefit, doesn't he? We may want what the old nature wants. We may want to slip into sin, but it is better for us to resist and to run. We might want to share that juicy piece of gossip because it tastes so good and it's fun to see the reactions that the information elicits. We may want to flirt with that cutie across the room just to see if we still have it. Our spouse won't mind, right? It's not anything dangerous. It'll make us feel good, feel feel wanted. We might want that extra drink, the one that will put us over the top so that we can slip into the buzz and forget about the problems that we're trying to drown. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know... Where you are at in the walk of faith, but it is so important for us to sacrifice our sinful, selfish desires that we might do the hard thing, the better thing, the thing that God has called us to, because it brings honor to him, and it's healthier for us spiritually, physically, and emotionally. So yes, we are called to live lives of sacrifice, but know that your sacrifice will not change the way that God looks at you. When you slip, when you are unable to sacrifice as you should when you fail, know that God's love for you has not slipped. It has not failed, it has not changed. His care for you has not diminished. His promises to you have not been abandoned for it is not our sacrifice that has repaired our relationship with God but the sacrifice of Christ. I love the Advent season. I love the songs, I love the joy, the giving of gifts, I love the smells and the colors. And as we enjoy this Christmas season together, may we remember the child, the Son of God, the Lamb who was slain. May we remember Jesus. May we praise him for all that he has done. What a fantastic, loving, gracious, and merciful God we serve. Amen. Amen.